Welcome to the official podcast for the National Association for Business Economics, your one-step shop for catching up on the latest in business economics on the go. Be sure to hit the follow button and the bell icon to stay up to date on our latest releases. Today's podcast is the replay of the December Outlook Survey Results webinar hosted on December 5th, 2022. Over the next hour, survey analysts dive into the results and take questions from attendees. Without further ado, I'll hand it over to Dana Peterson, Outlook Survey Chair and Chief Economist at the Conference Board. Dana, take it away. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Greetings and welcome everyone to the NABE December Outlook Survey. Um, I'm here with my colleagues, uh, David Bowers from Absolute Strategy Research, um, who will be focusing on labor markets, Jack Kleinhens from the National Retail Federation, who will focus on prices and rates, and Yelena Maliev, who is from KPMG and will be focusing on housing. I'll be providing highlights about the survey itself and also a little bit on GDP growth. So I'll just be briefly discuss, we'll all just be briefly discussing the highlights for about 10 minutes, and then we'll open it up for Q&A for the balance of the 20 minutes. And again, as Caitlin mentioned, please feel free to put questions into the chat and we'll try our best to address all of them. So big picture, uh, with the survey in December, we noticed continued downgrades for the US outlook compared to prior surveys in October and in the springtime. Uh, notably, uh, respondents, the, the median respondent is, is expecting materially slower GDP growth in 2023 um, in around three-tenths of a percentage point. But they're also upgrading their forecast for uh, consumer inflation, and they also think the labor market is going to be weaker. And, and this subdued outlook co coincided with expectations of a higher federal funds rate over the course of of next year. Now, interestingly, 57% of respondents had a 50% probability or more of recession in 2023. So many are expecting recession and just a majority, over a majority, 52% believe the recession will start in the first quarter of 2023. Um, but despite uh, the recession, the anticipation of recession, um, many respondents think that the labor market will only slow very moderately. Uh, the median respondent generally, generally believes that payroll employment will slow but remain positive. So we're not going to have any negative readings according to the survey. And also a majority of respondents expect the unemployment rate to peak at 5% or lower over the next 12 to 18 months. And these all are outcomes that are not really consistent with recessionary environment, again, despite the fact that many do anticipate recession. Regarding risks of the outlook, 82% said that risks are tilted to the downside. And 65% say that the biggest downside risk is, quote unquote, too much monetary tightness or monetary policy tightness. But, um, and after that, a very distant 13% said a financial crisis would be uh, a big issue. And then only 4% expect some kind of housing market bust. Um, but in terms of upsides, 50% um, again, uh, believe that we can have a soft landing. So that's, that's pretty interesting there. Um, but whatever the outcome for the US economy, they think that policy lags will be important. And indeed 43% say that the policy lag will be somewhere between six and 12 months. 17% between zero and six months, a shorter period, and then 34% say 12 to 18 months are longer. Um, in terms of GDP, again, there were pretty big downgrades. So for next year, the forecast uh, in October was 1.1% GDP growth at the end of 2023, and that was downgraded to three tenths. But what's notable is the dispersion where we had a forecast anyone the lowest five forecast for next year was minus 1%, and the highest five was plus 2.3%. So there's a lot of uncertainty, and I think uncertainty really underlines what's going on there. And in terms of the biggest downgrades within GDP, it was mainly in residential investment, um, which isn't very surprising, given the fact that the Fed is downgrading pretty sig significantly. Um, so I'll stop here with those uh, remarks and pass it on to our next uh, guest uh, speaker who will talk about <laughs> who will talk about the labor market so thank thanks you. so much 
Thank, thank you, thank you, Dana. Um, as Dana said, there's a lot of uncertainty in this survey, and that comes through very clearly in how people see the labour market evolving over the next uh, over the next 12 months. And the bottom line is that people expect that labour market to soften, but there's a huge variation as to just how much it will soften. So just um, looking at starting off with the non-farm payrolls, um, there are going to be fewer additions but the median forecast isn't forecasting a contraction in payrolls. So just to give you a couple of numbers, um, in 2022, the average monthly change in the payrolls is around 370,000. That's expected to drop to 76,000 in, uh, in, in 2023. Um, so people are looking for a slowing um, uh, pace of increase in payrolls right the way through to the third quarter of uh, next year, maybe with a bit of a rebound in the, um, in, the, in, in, the, in the fourth quarter. But just to give you a sense of that uncertainty, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the five most pessimistic forecasters are looking for payrolls to contract on average 215,000. And the most, the, four, the five most optimistic forecasters are looking for payrolls to be plus 224,000. So a huge variation of forecasting for, uh, for, for 12 months out. It, it, looking at the unemployment rate, unemployment is forecast to rise. Um, uh, people are looking for a number around about four and a half percent by the fourth quarter of next year. That's broadly in line with the Fed's September summary of economic uh, projections. But again, there's a significant range around that. The five most optimistic forecasts looking for unemployment to be around 3.3, the five most pessimistic looking for it to be as high as 5.8. As Donna mentioned, there's a really interesting question this time about where people see the unemployment rate peaking over the next 12 to 18 months. And uh, the majority, about half the panel, 56% of the panel, expect the unemployment rate to peak out at 5% or lower, and only 17% expect it to peak out at 5.5% or higher. That, that's quite important because typically in recessions, unemployment gets as high as 6% or so. So people are very much looking for a recession but with really quite a mild impact on the labour market. Final point from me on the labour market is on, on wages. Um, uh, the NAB forecast focuses on non-farm compensation per hour. Um, and uh, the good news for the Fed is there's some, for, some slowdown um, in compensation growth is expected from around 4.9% in 2022 down to 4.4% in 2023. But that remains well above the pre-COVID trend, which was below 3%. So a bit of good news for the Fed. It remains to be seen whether that's going to be enough. And to discuss the outlook for inflation and rates, let me pass over to Jack. Jack, you're muted. Thanks, Tina. Uh, and thanks, David. And hello, everyone. Um, the, our headline said a lot. Uh, the survey Respondents uh, do anticipate um, inflation and interest rates remaining elevated. And so uh, let me give you uh, an unpack a little bit of the information that we got from the survey. Certainly looking at inflation from the uh, CPI standpoint, um, this year is supposed to end up around 8.1% compared to 8% uh, that was in the last survey. Uh, inflation's going to remain high in uh, 2023 but certainly not as high as in 2022. Our survey suggests that uh, CPI will be at 4.2% uh, at year end. Uh, that would be the median forecast, by the way. Uh, turning to the personal consumption expenditures price index, that is continued to be revised by our survey panelists. Uh, right now, uh, the fourth quarter 21 to fourth quarter 22, um, it has increased to 5.7%, so a little higher than we had in the previous survey, and um, is expected to rise uh, to um, four point, uh, wait a second, I'm sorry, in, uh, to, uh, let me stand, uh, stop there and go right to core PCE. Uh, so core PCE, which includes food and energy prices, is expected to go to 4.8% this year. And uh, that's compared to the 4.4% in the uh, last survey. 
Overall, when we look at year-over-year -year data, uh, the PC inflation rate at year-end 2023 uh, is unchanged at 2.7% um, and uh, anticipated to go to 2, 3% uh, and uh, 2023. Um, I'm sorry about that. Let me reread that. The forecast for overall PC inflation at the year-end 2023 is unchanged at 2.7% with the core rate anticipated to rise to 3%. Now turning to 85% um, of the panelists anticipate the core PCE inflation will not decline to the year over year rate of 2%, the long, rate, a long run average inflation target of the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee until 2024. Um, uh, Dana already mentioned regarding monetary lags. Let me mention uh, and close out this session, a section on the projections for the federal federal funds rate, uh, the median forecast for the overnight rate at year end is tw uh, for 2022 is 4.375%. That's up from 3.875%. And then looking out to 2023 year end, um, it is uh, going to be uh, 4.625 compared to the 3.875. Uh, let's think about 10-year treasuries next. The 10-year Treasury continues to rise for both 2022, 2023. Year end uh, this year, 4%. And then um, it will uh, moderate down year end to about 3.8%. Um, and uh, that'll be at the end of 2023. And with that, I will turn it over to Elena. Thank you, Jack. Hi, everybody. So as Dana mentioned, uh, the recession that's expected to come next year by some of the participants will be a Federal Reserve induced recession. And so only 4% of the respondents in the survey expect the housing bus to be um, the reason for a, any sort of downturn next year. And so this is not going to be uh, 2008 all over again. And to start, we have residential fixed investment being a drag on growth both this year and next year. Both of those figures were revised down from the October survey. And so we have a decline of 10% from the fourth quarter of 2021 to the fourth quarter of 2022 in residential investment. And then in 2023, that figure is even lower at 11.7%. And so this is bringing down uh, the components of GDP, but as well as overall consumer activity, which is what we need uh, to grow in order to have growth in the economy. And now for housing construction, uh, the expectation is construction will fall on a year-on-year -year basis, both this year and next year, which is the first time we've had annual construction actually drop on a year-on-year -year basis since 2009. So a lot of slowing of activity in that, in that field. And just to give you some numbers for the end of this year, uh, housing starts, which is new home construction for both single and multifamily was downgraded to 1.55 million units, which is about a 12% drop from a year ago. And then that is um, even lower into next year. Um, and so what we have is actually a, a slowing down in construction and really not keeping up in pace of the housing construction needed to keep up with household formation according to some estimates. And so the silver lining of that component is that about three quarters of participants do not actually expect activity to fall below 1 million. And so with the exception of April 2020, when we first had lockdowns, housing starts have not fallen below 1 million units total since the March of 2015. And so we were still recovering from the housing bust during that period, and we still expect some growth um, in, in construction, but not as strong as we've seen so far. Pivoting over to home prices, uh, home prices are expected to grow at a much slower pace by the end of this year, and then actually decline next year, um, which is the first decline we've had since 2011. And so home prices as measured by the Federal Housing Finance Agency's house price index are expected to rise 8.6% this year. And then um, th that's a significant drop from the 18% increase in 2021. And then they're actually expected to decline 3.5% in 2023. And so I want to give some perspective for these home price declines to, to really solidify the idea that this time is, is not 2008, is that even if home prices fall um, by that 3.5% at the end of next year, we're still going to be about 33% above pre-pandemic levels on home national home price averages. And then we also asked participants uh, what they expect their peak to trough drop in home prices to be over the next 12 to 18 months. 
and over half of participants expect that to be between 10 and 19 percent. So again, even this kind of peak to trough drop, uh, we will still see home prices about 12 percent above pre-pandemic levels. So again, that really solidifies the idea that the housing bust um, is not going to be a 2008 style. And so with that, I'll give it back to Dana so we can answer some questions. Thanks so much, Elena. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, David. Um, at this time, if anyone has questions, please feel free to type them into the chat and we can address them. Um, Caitlin, I'm not sure, are people also going to be able to verbalize questions or is it only via chat? They will only be able to do it via chat. Okay. So we'll just give it a, a few more uh, seconds for folks to start populating the chat with questions. Don't be shy. <laughs> Dana, why don't I ask you a question as you're sure, thinking about the it. survey, and then we just got some data on Friday on the strength of the labor market. Um, how, do, how do you uh, uh, reconcile what's going on in the labor market in terms of uh, continued growth, but also at the same time, you have uh, consumer confidence at uh, relatively low levels. Sure, and for thanks for the question. Um, we do actually at the conference board produce a consumer confidence measure. And yes, it has been flagging. Um, consumers are becoming less and less happy by the minute. We think a lot of that has to do with inflation um, because certainly the labor market has been strong. Most people who want a job are working. And they're also seeing their wages rise, either because they've quit and they found a better paying job or their companies are trying to compensate them to get them to stay. Um, so in that sense, the present con conditions index within our measure has been pretty robust. Only recently has it started to fade, but certainly expectations have been weaker. Um, you know, consumers are sensing something around the corner, potentially recession. And again, I think that's a function of interest rates rising, which makes it much more expensive for them to finance um, things. And inflation for basics like food, energy, and shelter is still pretty high. But um, you know, certainly with the labor market, this past reading was still very strong. I think we had 263,000 jobs added. The unemployment rate held at 3.7 percent. You know, wage growth uh, remained pretty elevated, even though it's cooled off slightly. Um, I mean, there were some areas uh, that we can be concerned about, certainly temporary help uh, additions, payroll additions were negative over the last four months and there were downward revisions there. So that's usually a bellwether and usually signals something uh, happening, but that would be consistent with, you know, the survey where many uh, folks, uh, you know, think inflation is going to be higher, they expect some kind of a recession, but the labor market to uh, not really uh, suffer uh, the extreme damage that we saw uh, certainly during the great financial crisis where it basically took 10 years to get back. Um, so I think that certainly what we're seeing in the data are meshing with what our, our survey panelists are thinking and saying. David, do you want to add? Yes, I, I think that the, um, I think one of the things that I'm struck by looking at the survey is the difference between what, what people are thinking about payrolls and what they're thinking about the unemployment rate um, and uh, there's, a, there's a bit of tension there because uh, on the one hand people are talking about a recession and rising unemployment and yet they're in the same breath they're still looking for a payroll growth to increase albeit at a much at a much slower slower rate and i think the other question in this confusion is really how would the fed look at uh, that those very mixed signals coming uh, from the from the labor market um at at the time so i think for, for me the you know the the you know i think possibly that we're at maybe we could you know the, the survey is basically saying we are at a turning point for unemployment the unemployment rate is going to be higher and i think that probably will gather momentum through the year as corporate margins um, come under pressure and there's the, um, the the economy both the US economy and the global economy 
economy um, starts to uh, slow. But I think you know it, it is just interesting that this is a you know what, what people are forecasting is a much more modest rise in the unemployment rate than you would typically see in the recessions that we've had over the last fifty years or so. Thanks so much, David. So we do have some questions. I realized I was looking at the wrong place, and we have six questions. Um, so uh, here's one: Can you go over the soft landing again? And are the lags now the same as before? Um, so the way we define soft landing, and I'm going to read it exactly from the survey, um, because you know we we struggled with how to define it as well. But we asked, what is the probability of the economy achieving a soft landing? such that, and we're defining it as a period of positive, but below potential growth allows for inflation to normalize and for the economy to avoid a severe recession. So, I mean, some of that's a little oxymoronic because it's like we're saying positive growth, but avoid a severe recession. <laughs> so um, that's, that's more or less how it was defined. And this is, and, you know, again, at least 23% of them said, had a probability of 51% or, or more that this would happen. So 23%. So even though 50% of, of respondents say that, you know, it, that's the biggest upside risk, only 20%, 23% of them believe that this is possible. Um, and in terms of the lags, this is the first time we asked about the lags. So I think that's a question that we can definitely repeat. Um, so another question, had to do with whether or not, okay, so the consensus appears to be anticipating a mild housing recession. What kind of range of price declines might we see? And are there any regional areas that might be affected significantly more than others? Yelena, would you like to tackle that? Definitely. Thank you, Dana. And thank you for this question, because it really does show up in the survey how um, wide of a range of um, forecasts there were for home prices, both this year, which is almost ending, and then for next year as well. And so just to give you some numbers, the five lowest uh, for home price growth for this year uh, were at three and a half percent growth positive. And then the five highest were 13% growth. So a little bit closer to that um, K, um, CoreLogic Case-Shiller index. And then for next year, the dispersion is even wider. We have uh, the five lowest at negative 15% year-on-year growth and the five highest at positive 5% year-on-year growth. And just to drive home the point again, this is very different from last time because home prices have appreciated so much, even in the first three months of this year before the Fed started to hike rates. And so even that 15% drop that the lowest uh, five expect is, as, a, as a number for next year, this is still going to bring home prices to a above pre-pandemic levels. And so, and the question added um, regions because this is really important. Housing markets are very diverse and obviously the national housing market is just a collection of many, many, many regional housing markets. And so the expectation is for a lot of those housing markets that saw the biggest price increases, we're thinking some of those out West, especially in the Sun Belt as well, will probably see the uh, highest drops simply because it's just the prices coming back down to earth and, and normalizing and these sort of overvalued too hot housing markets seeing uh, home price growth come down because you know inventory is coming back online slowly. And so those are some of the expectations from the survey and then some of my own comments as well. Thanks, Elena. So uh, there are a few questions about policy and, and uh, also about geopolitics. So the only question we asked about the Ukraine war was really, what is the greatest downside risk to the U.S. economy? Um, and respondents listed broadening of the war in Ukraine. Uh, only 4% of them said that they were really concerned about that being a downside risk. And also, things like conflict with China. So, and that was just, you know, 2% and ongoing supply chain issues, that's 4%. And so, you know, those things that are kind of external and existential to the US seem like folks weren't terribly concerned about that. But that was the only real question we asked about the Ukraine war. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, can I, can I just add, add, add Dana? That I think is that question. It's really interesting comparing those outside risks with the domestic risks. And as uh, Dana has said, in terms of concern about the Ukraine war as a downside risk and China, that's six percent of the panelists. But when you talk about the risk of too much monetary tightness, sixty-five percent of panelists. So the you know there's, there's a, a huge concern 
about um, whether the Fed is going to be able to get it right. That that dominates the the geopolitics. At least that's what this survey seems to imply. Thanks, David. And there's um, there's one question here that I think we can all answer. I'll 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 not answer it, but. Uh, maybe Jack and Yelena and David can say something quickly. So what's keeping you awake at night? Uh, what are you keeping your eye on? So let's start with Jack. Well, I'm keeping my eye on the labor front is specifically uh, the growth in the labor force and then also uh, payroll. Um, I think that uh, this economy has been very dependent on the consumer. And as uh, the labor markets continue to move forward. I think that continues to give uh, security to the outlook for most consumers. But uh, once that labor market starts to soften or we start to see some large layoffs, which I do not project, I think that's when we might see some pullback on the spending that we've been seeing um, so strong throughout this past year. Thanks, David. Um, what keeps me awake at night is the stance of U.S. monetary policy and the, the huge challenge that the, the Fed ha has in, in, in getting that call right. You know, this is the most aggressive tightening of global monetary policy that we've seen in 40 years in terms of bond yields, in terms of policy rates. You've got the strong dollar. You've got quantitative tightening. You know, this really is a, a major shock and is very, very different to the environment of the last 13 years when you had ultra-loose monetary policy and you know, prolonged periods of quantitative easing. Uh, and I just think you know, that, that uh, this is so different from most people's uh, recent experience that I think this may attribute, you know, be responsible for some of the um, dispersion we're seeing in, in the forecasts here. You know, we, you know, lot of, not many people have seen a shock of this magnitude before. And I think trying to work out how that's going to play out in the economy and, and, and you know, the, the very fine line the Fed has to run in terms of, of getting that policy mix right. That's, that's my main concern at the moment. Thank you, Elena. You have the last word. I would agree with Jack on this one, on the labor supply front. We are still short about three and a half million workers from um, the labor force and, you know, structural changes that um, a lot of it was already in play before the pandemic. So, for example, the slow in immigration and we have early retirements. A lot of that was spurred by the pandemic. Childcare concerns. We have a lot of children sick right now. And so these things bringing down the, uh, the labor force growth, the labor supply growth, and then therefore um, kind of stemming the structural change of higher inflation and higher periods of inflation than we've seen over the past few decades, um, so long the great moderation. Um, and so th this is kind of the that then tying into David's comment about global tightening and the need for a more active Fed and more active central banks around the world, uh, bringing down that higher inflation. But unfortunately, things like nearshoring, friendshoring, the loss in immigration and other concerns are going to keep prices higher for longer. So those are my main concerns. Thanks so much, Elena. Caitlin, I think we're at the top of the hour. Yes. Yeah, if you guys are all ready to wrap up, we can wrap up. Well, um, there are a few more questions. Uh, should we give it a few more minutes? Sure. Okay, so here's a really great question. And Jack, maybe you can um, address this one. Um, it's from Chris Lawless. Uh, many expect a recession because of rate hikes, but it seems forecasts are really bifurcated between those putting weight on a strong labor market and, and high savings and others uh, who are gloomy about how far the Fed has to go in terms of rate hikes to get inflation back to 2%. So is this a wider gap in views than typical in past surveys? I'll do the best I can to answer the question. <laughs> Anyone else want to jump in? It's a great question. I, I think the fact is that we can't we can't judge this uh, the question answer it based on previous surveys that I know of. I've been on the survey committee for a while now, um, and I think that the concern has been the you know the strength of the labor market, uh, and we do know that there has. Uh, uh, continues to be uh, still a stockpile of savings, but it is it is dwindling, um, and uh, I think that's going to continue to help us move into 2023. Uh, and a lot will depend on how far the Fed goes with uh, rate increases as it feeds back into the 
um, into the financial markets and even into the um, uh, real economy in terms of higher cost of borrowing. Uh, there is some concern about there, out there regarding a higher level of credit card uh, and a level of consumer debt. Uh, I'm in the, uh, the camp that I'm not worried about that yet because I think that income has grown at a fairly good pace to be able to absorb and service the added cost of uh, consumer debt. But it's something I'm going to be watching very closely. So I don't think I answered the question, but I gave you an answer anyhow. Thanks. Well, we have two questions on productivity. Um, one question was anything on productivity. Uh, we didn't ask specifically about productivity. I don't know if we have productivity in the we have, forecast. We have one one forecast. We have one okay. one, one line on it. So, um, just just to uh, highlight the numbers, uh, in terms of um, non-farm business output per hour. Um, there's uh, basically back in 2021, that was running at about 2.4%. Um, this year, 2022, um, we've got a negative number. You know, the median is minus 1.5, so a contraction in productivity in 2022, and then a modest rebound in 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 2023. So averaging the you know the two forecast years together um you know essentially we're out of productivity growth and you know given the pressure on on wages you know unit labor costs are are also going to be under pressure and i think that fits quite nicely into the um you know into the the squeeze on corporate profits growth that we um are seeing going into uh 2023 um we've got a you know um a corporate profits after tax number um, the, the NAVE consensus is for that to be um, only 0.8% in 2023. So that's a that's a big slowdown from the kind of corporate earnings growth that uh, people have gotten gotten used to over the last uh, over the last couple of years. I'd also toss in some of my own thoughts on productivity, um, and this is work that we spend a lot of time on at the conference board. We knew that productivity growth rates were going to be weird, wild, and wacky in 2021 and 2022. Here's why. In 2021, you were recovering from a global pandemic. And so the numerator was growing very rapidly. Meanwhile, the denominator wasn't really moving because you still had millions of people who were unemployed. And so you, you were going to mechanically have a large growth rate in productivity in 2021. Fast forward to 2022, we finished getting out of the hole of the pandemic growth-wise right and we were settling into a slower pace of growth and then we also had you know a lot of volatility in trade and inventories as businesses were trying to rebalance and also just get in inventories that were sitting off the coasts and various places meanwhile the labor market was coming roaring back because people were being hired so the numerator wasn't growing very fast and in some quarters it was negative but the denominator was growing very quickly so we were going to have you know very weak productivity growth this year. So the question is what happens next year, right? Um, and it's going to be a race between <laughs> how much the denominator slows versus the, the numerator, right? But I think, you know, things that are key and important to think about productivity is that there's a difference between macroeconomic productivity and individual productivity. Because so I know some folks say, well, you know, we need to get everybody back into the office because they're not working. Look at productivity growth at the national level, right? Not understanding some of the dynamics. But I, I think that it's going to be really key that we do have increases in productivity going forward to support growth over the longer run. And indeed, you can get some of that um, from automation, but also investments in infrastructure and R&D and digital transformation, which we saw a lot of, and also investments in human capital. So, I mean, that's, those are, again, my own thoughts, but um, I think, you know, there's some optimism there, certainly next year, as David mentioned, there is an uptick in the productivity forecast compared to the pretty wild swings we saw in 2021 and 2022. Um, let's see. Um, there are folks who asked, oh, oh, here, here's, okay, we have some more. Uh, so, Yelena, maybe this one's for you. The construction correction may be concentrated in commercial, not residential sectors. How will this play out? And will the correction take years, especially in office, hotels, and retail? 
you, Dana. Yeah, this is an interesting question because we've actually had, if you look at the GDP figures for uh, gross private investment in non-residential structures, it's actually been a drag on growth since fourth quarter of 2019. And with the exception of just one big drag in the second quarter of 2020, it's been quite uh, slow and, and quite um, low in, for a long time. Now, the housing construction and uh, residential investment has been dragging down GDP much more over the last few quarters, and that's the expectation for next year as well. And so I don't know if the statement necessarily may be true, maybe um, based on just different regions could be could be true. And so this is this is something we're definitely keeping an eye on, especially when we think about, you know, the return to the office, this hybrid work environment. You know, we're not hearing very many people saying that everybody's back at work five days a week, nine to five. And so, you know, the return of things like travel and tourism, which is really good for hotels and, and for some of the retail sector, especially if we have um, more Asian countries, especially China reopening will be a really big boom to tourism in the US and a lot more investment could stem out of that. But this is going to take time because a lot of these investments uh, have a longer time period than, for example, in the single family space where it's a lot more reactive to rates. Uh, whereas uh, commercial and multifamily takes has a much longer lag to respond to tightening conditions and then vice versa in uh, loosening conditions. Thanks, Elena. I think this next question is for you, Jack. When do you anticipate the stockpile of excess savings to run out? Uh, because I brought it up, right, Dana? Huh? Uh, that's, that's, that's a fantastic question. And I don't have a precise, no, a, a precise time. I think it can... Uh, the last data that I, I saw that came from the Federal Reserve Board was that there was, what, uh, $1.7 trillion out there, and that the majority of it is held uh, by higher income people. Uh, and the lower uh, co uh, income cohorts uh, have a smaller percentage, which I think will get used up sooner than later. And so consequently, I think it sticks around through 2023. It just may not get used the same way as we're thinking right now. And um, I'll leave it at that. I think uh, the stockpile in itself could still be out there, but not being used, uh, but it could be used up largely by the uh, lower income cohorts. I, I have a question um, regarding that. I, I don't know how exactly it was defined in the Fed survey, but savings can be um, money that's already been put to use, right? So maybe people put them in CDs or put it in an investment account. So this may not be liquid cash. Um, and so, you know, some of it may actually be turned into wealth, right? And we know that the higher income people, you know, are less likely to spend it um, than the lower income people. So I, I just don't know how it's defined. I'm just wondering if you know. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it was a, it's a great study to take a look at. It's a, a I think fairly strong estimates. Um, and it just came out maybe about a month ago, uh, three authors, Federal Reserve Board of Governors, economists. I would recommend you look it up. Yep. Okay, so uh, we have a question on, um, in terms of, were there any insights on how the big fiscal packages we saw this year will play out on economic activity um, in 2023 and also the impact on the labor market? And that includes, IRA chips and the infrastructure bill from last year. Now, we didn't ask about it in the survey, but does anyone have any thoughts on how these various fiscal packages are going well, to impact the economy? Well, we can see um, the inference of the, uh, of the uh, higher uh, fiscal policy regarding the infrastructure bill by the change in the expectations for government spending. Um, it was, it, it was projected to be eight tenths of 1% growth in October. Now it's up to 1.3%. Uh, and it was negative growth in 2022. So uh, that would be a positive contribution or expected to be a contribution to a GDP growth into 2023. And, and no also, there is no specificity that I can see in the survey that says to be attributed to um, a particular program. Right. I mean, and we didn't ask the question explicitly, but you're right. It shows up in the government spending. It also shows up in the federal deficit. Uh, so for yes. this year, um, the forecast increased from, uh, from in October for 2022 was $988 billion, and that rose to $1.4 And then for next year, it rose from $1.1 trillion 
just under 1.1 trillion to just over 1.1 trillion. So, um, <laughs> well, so it seems like people expecting more spending and bigger deficits. Um, let's see, what other questions do we have here? Um, so, any comments on transportation, trucking, freight, and shipping transportation? I'm looking at you again, Jack, given. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't have hard data that I can just uh, give you chapter and verse. It's just in, in, my, in my industry, uh, uh, transportation has been very critical for, for retail. Uh, prices have come down considerably. Uh, supply chain congestion is down. Um, uh, getting uh, uh, merchandise out of uh, uh, around the world uh, has cost much, much less than it is has been in last year. Uh, I know the spot rates for uh, trucking are down considerably also, uh, and uh, railroading, rail, rail loadings are also uh, down. But so what that means is lower cost of transportation, but still, uh, you know, definitely higher than pre-pandemic, but probably a little bit easier to, um, uh, to be able to absorb uh, with lower, lower, lower costs. That would be my best uh, answer for that question, Dana. Thanks, Jack. So David and Yelena, this, these may be questions that will, this question may interest both of you. So are there any thoughts on the decline in productivity and population? In, in other words, labor force part, participation growth? I mean, I, I maybe just some some general points. I mean, I think the um, I don't think it's just a U.S. problem, but I think there is a you know there is a global problem, which is that you know there is that you know the the workforce is not expanding um, fast enough to deal with you know available jobs and you know and 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 with and with, and with growth 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 forecasts and. Chair Powell made that very clear in uh, his speech last week that this is a, you know, this is this is this is a major constraint, um, and as Yelena has already pointed out, you know, it's the combination of early retirements, changes in immigration policy, um, which has you know has led to a change in the in the in the supply of labour. And I think the real challenge is how do you how do you get people back into the labour market? What kind of incentives uh, do you have to um, to put in place to do that? Do you have to wait for the people who you know took early retirement to change their minds and come back into the workforce but it is a it is a it is a major it's a major constraint and i think the that what struck me in the pal speech was what how he said that really you know as things stood at the moment the economy could only really accommodate um a non-farm payroll number close to 100k um not the 263k number we saw on 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 friday so um yes you know covid COVID has changed labour supply. It has put in place a labour constraint, not just in the in the UK, but parts of the European economy. The United Kingdom is a good example, and um, it, it is, I think, changing. You know, ch changing the um, you know ch changing uh, you know wage pressure really quite 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 significantly. Unfortunately, if you can't increase labour supply, <laughs> and you need to get inflation down, you you, you basically have to um, you know you have to create some quite significant slack in the labor market so i think i think i think this labor constraint this is something this is something people you know we haven't had to consider for you know much of the last uh, 15 years in the past china was always there to supply the excess labor that um many of the developed economies need well we know there are there are issues there with um, with, with, with 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 that so i think i think this is quite a serious problem i don't think there's a i don't think there's a an easy uh, fiscal fix and you know, I think it really puts the central banks in in quite a quite a challenging position because really, if you want to rebalance the labour market, you need to create a negative output gap and have a prolonged period of below trend growth. Um, well, that that works when you don't have labour shortages, and, and that's it, the problem. Yeah, Our labour yeah. shortage is going to break all the models. <laughs> Elena. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, David. You you. I'm sorry. You have no, 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 okay. Okay. no, 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 no. Come, we'll come back to that. <laughs> Um, I, I agree with David. I will also add that um, due to these structurally um, 
significant structural changes to the labor supply and the labor force growth, um, don't expect, you know, uh, let's say even if it's a mild recession where unemployment hits 5% or 5.5%, that all of a sudden labor will be plentiful and all of a sudden all these businesses will have workers to choose from and they're able to um, kind of have their have their say over who works for them. And so this is a structural problem that even in a, in a mild recession or even a moderate recession where we have rising unemployment, we will still have concerns over finding workers, especially in the service sector, especially as things continue to reopen. I mentioned China coming back uh, to traveling and things like that. So this is not you know, a, a scenario where like one good recession can help bring workers back and companies to be able to um, have labor supply again. Exactly. So uh, we have a question about Florida. Um, does anyone have comments on how the Floridian recovery will impact GDP in 2023 and 2024? Uh, we know Florida has been hit with a number of disasters, but it is one state out of 50. Just wondering if anyone has comments. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Jack. Well, we know it's impacted retail sales to a degree, but not necessarily in such a way that it's a negative because what might have been spent on um, discretionary purchases like uh, clothing and food, et cetera, I, I, I think they're being spent on home improvement and repair and replace. Um, and that, that is the more immediate impact. But some of this uh, spending is going to end up, I think, and I have to turn to Elena on this because I think it'll end up a little bit into uh, uh, category of residential uh, residential construction uh, in terms of uh, replacement, repair, insurance claims. But it's going to take some time. That's that's not my area of expertise, but I have been watching uh, and listening on what's going on with the retail. Yeah, I mean one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Yelena. No, I just think when it comes to, for example, hurricane rebuilding and the in the home improvements, it's very different than it used to be. That we don't see that level of revamping and re uh, rebuilding than we have in uh, many decades. Decades actually, and so um, there is a bit of an expectation of rebuilding next year to help buoy some of that growth, but not in the ways that we've seen in the in over past hurricanes. And then furthermore, more and more regions are not even insurable anymore, so people are just leaving and not coming back. And so that's not going to be a great impact on those regions. And to Elena's point that leaving and not coming back and even during the hurricane period, that massively impacts services, right? So um, you can't go back and get a sec second haircut to make up for the haircut you didn't have during the hurricane right. and when your barbershop was destroyed. So, uh, and certainly if people are leaving um, in a macro sense, that doesn't matter because that consumption is just going to shift to another part of the country. But in a regional sense, it's very negative. But you also got to re recognize what is it? it's the fourth largest uh, state, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe someone can correct me. And I, even though there are some people leaving in certain sections of uh, regions, there's still population moving there. Um, so because of just its momentum that it has, it helps helps the. I would say uh, helps the overall state budget and spending that goes along with it. Yeah, but I think to Yelena's point, it's you're, you're probably going to see some impact on the number of people migrating there if you can't get flood insurance or <laughs> hurricane insurance, right? Yes, I um, agree. I'm just saying yeah. it's a big state, though. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, lot, a lot of places to, a lot of snowbirds and uh, uh, baby boomers are still in transit, I think, but nonetheless. Okay. I know I'm going to be down there for a few months in January, February, and March, so <laughs> I'll give you a report when I get there. Great. And you can change your background to a beach. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see me in a, a bathing suit, though. No, no. <laughs> so, Too much um... information. Yeah. Here's another question. How do different regions of the United States compare to each other in terms of labor markets? Great question. I can just say in past, especially when we had recessions, it doesn't impact everyone at the same time. Yeah. And also to the same extent. And uh, there is certainly, and I, you know, if one would go to the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, they have some coincidental indicators there. Yep. I would highly recommend you go there because I think it'll measure sort of the 
answers to your current questions. And it also, I believe, has some leading indicators by state also. Um, and I haven't looked at it. I was quickly trying to get online while I saw this question, but I, my fingers don't move as fast as they used to. So uh, maybe somebody else online could say, but in, in the past, when we've had slowdowns, we've had recessions, we tend to have what we call rolling recessions. We'll move from one part of the country to the other. It's not even Stephen. Um, and that's my experience in, in 40 years of uh, watching these things develop. I think also to Jack's point, it's really going to depend upon industry in which yeah. states are heavy in various industries that are going yeah. to get heavily impact, impacted. So certainly anything that's interest rate sensitive, like, you know, real estate and construction, that's everywhere. But, um, you know, certainly state, states that are very heavy in technology, we're seeing those companies laying off folks and we're hearing about it in the news. And But, um, you know, and also states that are very heavy in 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 tourism probably will do okay because they're still trying to hire people and there's still demand for that, um, at least in the short run. So I think it's it, that's going to really matter too, the distribution of industry across states. Absolutely. Yeah, the industrial base makes a big difference. Yeah, but yes. I, I think I think you know your point, Donna, about 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 tech is very well made. You know, any 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 state with exposure to companies which are cash flow negative at the moment, they they've come under a lot of pressure, um, and so clearly tech is one vulnerability. And as and as Yelena pointed out, the you know the slowdown in the housing market is much more concentrated in the west than it is in the east. So there are going to be some regional. Uh, differences and and to Jack's point, you know those um, that those state coincident indicators are a really powerful diffusion indicator for tracking the U.S. business cycle. I, I just want to emphasize Jack's recommendation there because there it's a unique data set that the Philly Fed's put together there and um, quite quite a strong a, a strong powerful indicator for the U.S. economy as a whole. One of the other comments I just make quickly to close off maybe because we're really getting down to our last minute is that also remember as we go into this period of time, we already identified that government spending consumption should be up in 2023. A lot of uh, state governments have still the benefit of the, uh, uh, the COVID money, the stimulus money that has not been, uh, has okay. not been totally allocated across um, across the board. So there will be sort of some stabilizing effect if uh, things start to get really soft in some markets um, uh, that uh, there would be some help from a state standpoint. Thanks. Well, Caitlin, it looks like we don't have any more questions in the queue and now we are at the top of the hour. Sorry, I was like 30 minutes early. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. If you'd like to check out our Outlook survey report and learn more about the four surveys we produce at NAEP, please visit naeb.com slash surveys.